1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to Tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Um, I try not to be a fear-mongering person. I try to be optimistic. I try and look on the good side uh, of everything and everyone. Um, and I have to say that, you know, we will adapt and overcome and, we're going to be one of those that hopefully you know we're reopening our doors after this season but i have to also say there is some trepidation there are some thoughts you start to think about the possibilities and you just have to prepare yourself and do the best you possibly can to mitigate those things that you can control adapt and overcome and keep going i'm mattson rogers and this is the tom roland podcast
3: What's up everybody welcome to the podcast today as we approach the summer some of our favorite activities are to go trout fishing or to go visit the Rocky Mountains and I have one of my good friends a guy that I started guiding with that has maintained his stake in the in the fishing business and done it very very well. He owns anglers West and that is an outfitter um, in Montana. He fishes all over the place and his name is Matson Rogers. So Mattson, what's up, man? Welcome to the program. How are you?
2: Tom, Tom, thank you. And, uh, great to see you. Um, boy, it's, you know, we've gone through a lot of things together over the years and, I uh, feel very fortunate uh, for you to have me on today.
3: Oh, so well, it's, um, it's thanks. awesome. It's, uh, it's a funny time. You know, a lot of people ask, um, it's a common question, you know, how, how I got started in this, in this business. And, um, I always go back to, you know, I was kind of lost and went and worked in Yellowstone. And then a year later, I found the guide school and just went down to Jackson and kind of got involved with Joe Bressler and a group of people that, you know, it was really, I explain it as it was a magic time. It was a, it was a, it was a time that I don't know if we were just really lucky or if there were just some different things going on, but it was, you know, just, Right around the time of, of a river runs through it, it was also around the time that the Gore-Tex wader came out. It was also a time when drift boat technology was changing and evolving into a better, more affordable boat. Um, I started, you know, out of a out of a 20-foot John boat. You know, that's what Joe used to fish out of. And then just a few oh, yeah. years
2: later, you know, probably still has that thing. I'm sure
3: he does. <laughs> I'm sure he does. I mean, you fished out of all the same things, but, you know, there was so much technology and evolution of the sport combined with this supercharging of that movie. Like, do you think about that time in, in,
2: I think about it all the time. I mean, that, that was 30 years ago, I think <laughs> this year, you know, I mean, that was a long time ago, but, and we were such kids at yeah. that time, you know, I mean, like right out of college. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, you're right. It was a it was a fantastic time uh, and for everything that uh, that we lived uh, through and survived. <laughs> um <laughs> and,
3: luckily, and barely the times
2: that we had. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, and then look at it now. we both got boys that are uh, the same age, you yeah. know, as when you and I both started together. Yeah. So um that's that's pretty cool. And and you're right, there's been an awful lot of changes in the industry uh of guiding as well as uh the products and and the items um that we use today. Um, you know uh, yeah, uh, I, I I think I still have some of those original Orvis super fine rods as yeah, well. Probably. So, um, um, I look know, at you, those. You kind
3: of yeah. grew up uh, fly fishing and kind of around uh, much more so than I did. Like I came to it, I came to the party a little bit late, and then had to learn a whole bunch. You know, right around that time. But I I just think that that little period of time was like the perfect storm for people to get started and. You know, you look around at the little group that was was around there, and so many of those people are still in the business or did some really big things in the business. I mean, you had Carter Andrews, oh, you got yourself, yeah. Fletcher White, Lori Murphy, Kim Keeley over there at the Victor Emporium. Yeah, you yeah. Had, uh, Pete Erickson did really well in the business. Mike still Jansen doing really doing well, really yeah, well in team the
2: business. USA. Yeah,
3: like just. Jeff Currier, on and on. Like there was this little Jackson hole crowd. And it's just funny to me that, that, that so many people did so well. And I don't know if that's just, you know, being an insider kind of looking out going, wow, like that guy's still doing it. And this guy's still doing it. And this girl's still doing it. Or if like every little group has that success. What do you think?
2: You know that's a good question. Uh, no, I think ours was a special deal. You know, it has to be just because you know it's us. But <laughs> um, you're right. There's there is. Um, I, I think it's the timing. I think it really is the timing. And and uh, what you first started there when you're talking about um, the river runs through it. Um, we really did bring in another generation um, of of dedicated fly anglers um, to the sport at that time. And uh, the fact that it, it was right there in Jackson, I mean, they've done part of it in Jackson as right. well as up here in Montana and everything. So, I mean, it was homegrown, you know, um, and it was right there. And, uh, yes, very fortunate to have been there at that time. Um, but I do think that that our group, if you look at just exactly how many are still involved and, and where we've all taken our businesses, that's that's pretty unique.
3: Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, I don't know that... Every group has that little bit of success, but I, I I think back on it and it's like I don't know there were there were just so many different little little factors besides just the high quality people and you know Joe Bressler he's he's got this guide school and for whatever reason like it just brought in this really high caliber individual that really wanted to to fish and I guess it was this the only one out there. Um, at that time, I don't at know. That time, are there yeah. other guide schools out there now that, you there's, know, of? there's
2: quite a few, you know, I think, um, I might be wrong, but I still think that that Western rivers guide school is probably one of the longest standing guide schools. I mean, it's still active today. Really? Um, you know, with, with Dawes and everyone else at Worldcast, Yeah. They still have that going. In fact, I think they do a couple, um, we've got one locally here, a couple actually locally, but, um, Sweetwater, um, travel puts on a guide school, um, you know, there's, uh, at least three others that I can think of in the immediate area here that that do it, um, as well.
3: So as a, uh, as an outfitter, would you consider that to be a good way to get started like today, like we did back then? I mean, do you look at guide schools for your guides or do you just have so many people coming in that you don't have to, what, what's your opinion on guide schools right now?
2: You know, Tom, I think one of the things that, uh, the guide schools definitely have a following and, and they definitely do uh, a great job of preparing students that are very interested in becoming a guide themselves. Um, and if not, because we saw this, even when we were going through it ourselves, there are folks that are interested in becoming a guide. Then there's folks that are just really wanting to up their fly fishing game. And what better way to do it than be surrounded by guides for a week? Mm -hmm. Um, But those that are really interested in becoming a guide, whether it's a young man, young woman, or someone that's looking to make a career change, a good, reputable guide school can elevate your ability to then be in communication with outfitters such as myself or lodge owners around the area. Uh, Much more so than someone just coming in cold and saying, hey, uh, you know, I want to become a guide, Um, you know, and and we and believe me, we see it all. We definitely see it all. So it it definitely leads credence to, uh, that opportunity of, of maybe, you know, I give that resume a second look, um, With coming from, yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: That's cool. What about, um, what about the people that, um, I mean, you're, you're kind of in a, in a common spot for, a, for an outfitter, you own a fly shop and you have your outfitting business. Um, there are a lot of people that that kind of have situations like that. So you have shop employees and you have guides. And do you use that as like a, a stepping stone to become a guide? Or do you have dedicated shop employees or what?
2: Uh, both, to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's definitely um, it, it becomes a personal situation. I mean, I've got a couple of employees that are like, look, I do not want to become a guide. I don't want it to interfere with my time when I want to go fish. And I totally get that. But they're total fish heads at the same time. You know, they love the sport so much. And that's what's drawn them to the store is the fact that um, their love of fly fishing uh, and the equipment and, and talking about it and just being immersed in it every day. Um, that's really important. And that's, that's an identity for them. Um, but they don't want a guide, and then there are the younger guides uh, to be that are, they've got to get a start somewhere. And it's not like I can just throw them on the roster and and send them out the door. You know, they have to prove up to me that hey, they know what they're talking about, what they're doing, and their abilities. But what better way for me and the others, senior guides here, to mentor them? The, for them to learn the business from the inside first, they learn about, you know, what it takes to run the, the, the fly shop and, and how to run retail. Um, biggest thing with guiding is, is our personal skills. When we're talking to people all day long, every day, this, you know, this really helps. Um, so I definitely uh, know those that are going to be work in the shop that then can become a guide and those that are going to work in the shop that maybe really aren't cut out for guiding. Is it, it is, it does terribly
3: obvious, is it terribly obvious right away that this kid right here cannot stand another second in the shop and you really need to get him on the water as soon as possible? And this other person over here would be a disaster on the river and maybe you better put him in the shop. I mean, is that a, is that a personality trait that like, you know, there were people even in our time that, that much preferred the shop. Like that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to work in the shop. They didn't want oh, yeah. anything to do with guiding. And I talk about that yeah. a lot, like, um, like guiding is like, it's like a state of mind almost to where you, you enter that guide mode and you're not looking at the front of the boat going, man, I'd really like to be up there. Like that, that should be my <laughs> Right. First, Wasn't you know?
2: that always our joke? <laughs> we're always trying to get one seat forward.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's how you, that's how you make it. You know, when you retire, <laughs> right. you're going to move, right? you're going to move 16 feet to the bow of the boat.
2: Forward. That's right. <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah, there it, it it's it can be very very clear for some, um, and others. Sometimes it is a little bit about finding out for themselves. I've had um, a couple of young men that thought that they really wanted to guide, but agreed to work in the store. And after working in the store and looking at what some of the gu- what they went through on a daily basis on guiding, they're like, you know, that that really isn't what I thought I wanted to do.
3: Guiding is so, not for everybody. No, it is definitely not for everybody. No. But that doesn't mean that everybody can't guide. I mean like Correct. you could get out there and and a lot of people, you know, even Turner, my my oldest son, he guided elk hunting out out in Bozeman. And um he decided, you know what? I love elk hunting. I love elk hunting so much that I think that I want to keep it for me. Like yeah. short and I season. had that
2: conversation Did you? exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, so, but I mean that's kind of yeah. a mature decision I think to 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 say you know what? I am kind of jealous of the person that I am guiding, and that doesn't seem like a healthy state of mind for a guide. Like I would rather be hunting, and and then to say, you know what? I I just don't think this is what I want to do.
2: No, that is a that is a um, a mature decision, as you said. <laughs> so, and I would say that you know one of the biggest things with uh, for us, you know, with trout guiding, is um, I am just as happy. Uh, being on the middle seat and coaching that person through how to catch that 18 inch rainbow, sipping on PMDs over on the bank. And when they connect with that fish, it's a visceral thing for me to have been there to witness it, to, to work through everything with that person as well. And I get just as much accomplishment and a, and a sense of um, happiness from that than I do if, if I was actually holding the rod in my hand too.
3: Yeah. So. Do you think that that is something that, um, was developed or have you always, I mean, you, you took to guiding right away and, and we were like, you know, another story that I've told a number of times here is that we learned from old school, like Vern Bressler oh, made sure he was like, look, if I ever hear that you were the one fishing, that's it. You're, you're done yeah. here. He's like, all, yeah. all you got to do is, you know, come back and they're like, how was your day? Well, I didn't catch much, but the guide caught a huge one. And that was going to be it. Your head was going to get locked yeah, that off. that was it. That was it, you know? And it. so we, yeah. I, I, I'm, I learned that lesson real cl- real clear. Like I, just the way he told me that the first time I was like, mm, don't want to get on the wrong side of that guy. So not yeah, going to do absolutely. it. But then, you know, after, you know, a, a few trips even, it's like, okay, I get this. This is like a, this is like a different skill to fish through someone else, to fish through someone else through language and, and uh demonstration and talking to them and having them understand what is is required and and of course when we first started we didn't have very many good customers because we had this river runs through it crowd coming out that almost everyone was a beginner of some sort like and and we were at the bottom of the totem pole so that's what we got like you better get your get your fly casting instruction up to, up to date, because you're going to be doing it a lot this summer. (laughs) Like everybody, everybody's going to need to learn, but, you know, and and then it's kind of like, you know, you, you get as good, as much pleasure out of teaching someone from, from zero to being able to catch a fish in, and, you know, at the end of the summer, you could probably do that in a few hundred yards, you know, with the fishing as, as as good as it was when we were first started. And then, um, you know, people were willing to learn and they wanted to learn real bad. And, and, um, you know, it didn't take very long.
2: Uh, you know, uh, you're right in that regard. I think that, uh, you, you do develop a style and, and that part is learned. Um, but the desire to want to be able to do that, that is there or it's not there. <laughs> and for those that it is there, it, it, it's a great joy. Um, but there's a lot of frustration at times too. And, um, you adapt and, and, uh, retool and rethink, um, over and over and over. And, um, and we always say this too, Tom, no day is ever the same the second time around. You know, you can't ever enter the stream exactly the way you did the day before. Um, so there's always something that changes and it's that adaptability that you have to have, um, it, you know, coaching people throughout life, uh, you find out that you're not just coaching them on a fly stream. Um, but we're just having a great life conversation, uh, as, as we both learn about each other, you know, in, in, in a given day of guiding, um, there's so much more to it, but it's learning regardless every single time you're out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and those guides that, uh, that have that knack that have that ability that, 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 you know, they can make those changes subtle, uh, without even maybe even realizing it at sometimes, um, you know, they they go far. Uh, so yeah, I still think back, you know, uh, my son, Sam is exactly the age we were that first mm-hmm. summer when we lived together in Jackson and, uh, the comment that you made, you know, yeah, we were at the bottom of the pool. Sam's figuring it out too. And he's having to learn how to teach and not just catch. And, uh, he says to me, you know, yeah, when am I going to get clients that know how to fish? And I said, <laughs> when you know how to teach them, <laughs> that's when. So it's it's very much um, the full circle has it has come around. for Sure.
3: Yeah, um, and so he's he's a full time guide this summer.
2: He is working in the shop as well as guiding, um, and and yeah, really interesting getting you know to the pandemic situation. Um, both he and another young man that I think the world of um, that works for me in the store. Both of them are in the ranks with which to be doing um, guide days. And uh, when we're busy, you know, the boys are doing full day trips, they're doing half day trips, they're doing teaching lessons, everything for me. They both came to me not long ago and said, You know, um, I think it's really important that uh, some of our other guides that maybe we don't always call, but you know, we work in the shop, so we're doing okay. I want you to make sure that they get trips and, and we'll grow some of our trips that we would have otherwise maybe gotten from you. Um, get it to those guides that, that, that really need it. And so I, that was, that was pretty cool Yeah, for them to, to come up with that on their own.
3: So have you already started fishing for the summer?
2: We have to a degree. Um, we're in a, in a unique situation. I think that, uh, you know, up until uh, next week, um, we can fish within state folks or folks that have been here for 14 days, self-quarantining. Um, and then, uh, next week kind of things, relax. We go to phase two, mm-hmm. um, which is the 14 day quarantine is not required. Um, and then there's mixed emotions about that, but, uh, yeah, so we've got a few guide trips. It's not really going great guns or anything that it's timing. As you know, too, we're right in the middle of runoff. Yeah. Um, we've got, a lot of weeks left yet before. I mean, our rivers just got big and brown just this week. So.
3: Well, how would someone know about the 14 day quarantine? Like, for instance, what are you supposed to just ask? And it's the honor system that, oh, you just drove in from California and have you been sitting at home for 14 days? And they say yes. And so you take them fishing or like what, how, how are you supposed to enforce 14 days in that? state.
2: I know. It, but yeah, how are I know, you supposed to enforce
3: it? Like uh, rules like that just drive me crazy because it's like, who's going to enforce it? Like, if, And if no one's going to enforce it, then why even have it? You know, like, I don't.
2: It I don't, is a, it is a very good question. It is. Uh, I think it is a lot on the honor system, you know, and it's, it is a question um, we've had to ask a lot of ourselves. Um, you know, we've, we have had clients that uh, literally have said, well, I just, I just flew in yesterday. And we have to say politely you know, that's, we're not really able to do that right now. You know, here's mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, so it's not a, it's not a situation where um, we're taking it lightly and, and, and not doing what's been asked of us. Uh, right. But at the same time, you're right. You know, who is going to actually police that? And uh, it is, a, it is on the honor system, I think.
3: Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, this time of the year on a regular year, what, What are you doing? You've got some spring creeks and you've got lakes and you've got other things that you can fish when the rivers are high and muddy or what, what, what does your season normally start on a, on a regular year?
2: Uh, We're really fortunate, something that you and I never saw in Jackson in -hmm. in years past, but uh, we have uh, fishing that starts as early as March now, March, April, early May before runoff, um, that pre runoff time here, it can be really touch and go. You have to be ready to travel at a moment's notice because things change with the weather. Um, But there's a significant uh, amount of time and and guide days that can be had in that early season. Uh, And then right now, during high water, uh, when the rivers do blow out, uh, the is uh, I think we're probably close to 20,000 CFS right now. Um, The Spring Creeks are a go-to quick destination for us. Uh, So the Paradise Valley Spring Creeks, Depew's, Armstrong's, uh nelson's they're just down the road um so the private ranch access aspect calling head making a reservation there is a a per person um access fee that's paid to the landowners in order for us to be able to, to be there um but those are close we do have some private ranch lakes that work the same way reservations and an access fee uh and some of those this we always joke we call this lake season time right now um some of those lakes can be a lot of fun yeah. Uh, and some really good sized trout in them do you so, fish those
3: um, Do you fish those out of float tubes or boats or what?
2: Generally speaking, we launch the drift boats you know uh, uh, several of these lakes are big enough they're they're thirty forty acres in size that uh, having a bigger boat um, makes for a really good experience for the guests mm-hmm. more so than being in the belly boat. Um, I remember, you know, way back in the day, we did do some trips out of the belly boats and it was like, there's a reason that the drift boat has become what it is.
3: Right. Well, um, you know, not, not every, not every vessel is for every customer, you know, like a lot of people have never been in something like that. And all of a sudden you strap them into this, this inner tube with a saddle in it and you got waders on and flippers and boots and that. You know your fly lines all over the place now. It's caught around your flipper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's yeah. coming from an experienced yeah. person. Imagine, imagine right? the bird's nest you can get in. Tie yourself into a, into a bunch of knots out there. You know the winds blow, and you're using a sinking line. Oh, it could be a nightmare. Now the guide has to stick his arm in, up to his shoulder in freezing cold water to get it up from around somebody's flip flop <laughs> or, or yep. F- yep. flipper from yep. Oklahoma. Yep. No. Like that just, sounds fun. Just-
2: Give me, my, give me my drift boat, so <laughs>
3: yep <laughs> okay. Yeah. so what so, what about the snowpack and all that stuff for this year? Do you expect this to be a good year for your area or for the Rockies in general We're looking
2: uh, we're looking really good actually. Um, yeah, winter was uh, pretty kind to us. We had some good skiing this winter, a lot of snow. Um, we had timely rains uh, early, really early, going back all the way to fall. so I think we're wet to start with. Um, so yeah, we're sitting about normal, uh, which, you know, we get asked every day on the Yellowstone, you know, uh, the river here outside the park, people are like, well, um, I'm going to be out the 15th of June and I'd like to get a float trip. And we have to explain to them what runoff is. And uh, for us, typically, I would say the first week of July, it was always the the, the longstanding 4th of July rodeo is when the salmon flies start on the, south, uh, on the Yellowstone here. And we might be a little bit earlier than that this year, um, but I wouldn't doubt if uh, we're right in that zone.
3: Yeah, that sounds good. Um, and then you'll you'll fish all the way through until what? Like I, it, just like you said, the fishing season is kind of extended into the spring a little bit. It's also kind of more. It's more common to be fishing later into the fall these days. It seems like as well.
2: It is. It is. Um, Halloween is is pretty typical for us. Um, but we've had some trips, uh, I think last year, even in the middle of November, um, we had a nice warm spell. We had some folks that were out, uh, before Thanksgiving and enjoying themselves. And they said, Hey, you know, it's, it's 50, 60 degrees. Can we go fishing? I'm like, sure. So, um, yeah, yeah season has gotten longer.
3: That's pretty cool. Hey, um, did you hear about that grizzly bear attack around big sky?
2: I did. I did. In fact, uh, I saw an article on uh, just this morning. Um, I believe he was mountain biking up above Oozle Falls area. Um, he is still in the hospital wow. and, uh, in still critical condition, um, needing a lot of reconstructive surgery.
3: I mean, Turner showed me like where that was and he showed me his it's map and everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't really believe that it was, it looked like it was like in, in like as I, what I remember about your neighborhood, like you have a, like a, a trail that kind of goes around your neighborhood and there's houses and stuff like that. And it wasn't like way out in the back country. Like, is, no, is that, I mean, real explain close. like where, how that happens, like a, a, where that was in relation to something that people would know, like big sky. The so town.
2: right um, from big sky, uh, not the big sky ski area, but down at the meadow village um, as you're going up, Um, if you take a left past, uh, Roxy's market, um, and head back, um, that direction, um, Oozle Falls is not that far off the main road that, that goes back to, um, the Yellowstone Club and to the Spanish Peaks Club, uh, which both have been growing quite a bit. You know, I mean, it's not, um, there are people there year round and there's activity and there's, you know, there's stuff going on. This isn't a wilderness location. Um, I, from my understanding, guy was just out riding his mountain bike, literally on the trail. Um, it, it was a surprise situation where there was a grizzly bear and, and, uh, grizzly bear meets mountain bike. Didn't really end so well for the biker. Um, but, uh, we've got a growing number of grizzly bears, uh, in the area. Um, just as the greater Yellowstone. Um, ecosystem carrying you know there's more and more bears in the park they don't have enough in the park they're, they're growing their zone they're expanding out outside and immediate area you know big skies are hopping skipping a jump from the park area so we're going to see bears out of the park and in areas that there's a lot of um, uh, human interaction i think i you um, think you'll see regardless more more of that? you know of, of- Definitely. Definitely. Uh, even here in paradise Valley, we're seeing that, um, a couple years ago, a woman was walking her dog, uh, in the Yellowstone river bottom, not far from the fly shop here. And, uh, she su- uh, surprised a, a sub adult grizzly bear on the river bank. Um, so that's, you know, not even in the mountains. Uh, we're, we're talking 30 miles from the park, um, in an area again, where there's people, cars every day. Uh, And so so, in your opinion, uh,
3: Mattson, what is a bear like that doing? Is that a bear that is moving from place to place and it just happens to get right on a hiking trail or is that bear living there? It could very
2: well, both, it could very well be that the fact that that bear is, um, kind of habituated himself to being around humans. It's not as big a scary deal. He's still able to find food, shelter, and the things that he desires in those areas. Um, and remember, too, that as people, we are going out more and more into these um, ecosystems and these areas that we're going to have that uh, cohabitation aspect where, you know, that's bear's ground. But we as people want to be there as well. Um, you know, there's there's just we just have to do a better job of being aware. I, I don't think that this particular case that it was anything intentional. Uh, I literally think the guy was, you know, going around a corner on his mountain bike and there happened to be the bear on the trail there. And <laughs> um, Like I said, it just, it didn't go so good for him.
3: That is um, That is a nightmare. I mean, that really is. is. And especially when you're, especially when you're on a trail like that, that a lot of mountain bikers probably use and you can be pretty quiet on a mountain bike. I mean, especially you if can. like the wind is blowing in that bear's face, you know, and you come up behind it. You can be very quiet on a mountain bike, especially the new mountain bikes. You know, they're, they're not rattling and stuff like my old junker. Like I wouldn't surprise <laughs> a mountain too. bike. I Mine mean, I too. wouldn't surprise so, a grizzly bear. You could hear maybe it's coming.
2: Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's time to put the little ding, ding bell back on or something. Dang, <laughs> man.
3: But that just yeah. is scary, man. It's just really, it really is. scary.
2: The fact of life of living out here, though, too, if you're going to recreate in these areas, you just you have to know that. I mean, that's that is a possibility,
3: always, right? Like, I mean, everywhere you go, bear spray, right?
2: That's right. That's right. Yeah. When you were out uh, elk hunting with Turner, oh, uh, I can bet that you had one, if not two, canisters of bear spray right there with you.
3: Listen, man, Um, where where he took me, the same way was. I knew we were going into the belly of the beast, like it was. Yeah, you were. It was the. He likes going to places like that, and I, I just looked at it and I was like, "There are a lot of bears that live up there," but that's different. Like you're, you're electively going someplace where you're, and in elk hunting, basically, you're doing everything wrong like when you go to work in Yellowstone yeah, and they, tell, like you, an elk yeah, they tell you yeah like they tell you they tell you don't get like off trail yeah. you know don't hike Damn. you know always hike with the wind at your back make a lot of noise so we're going elk hunting we're we're not hiking on the trail we're we're definitely not hiking with a wind at our back or every elk downwind is going to smell us we're being as quiet as a church mouse and i'm like dude we are looking to get hit right here like this is really bear country <laughs> and and we are doing everything yeah. basically wrong of course you know we got a bow or a gun but big deal like that's not good enough like you're just i don't want to see one
2: right um they're actually
3: really cool it's well it is i've really, seen really, really, really i have cool. seen them and that's why i don't want to see them again well i saw one up close and yeah. personal and that was enough uh, for me, uh, it's a, it's a magnificent animal that just literally scares the hell out of me. It really yeah, does. And, and I think yeah. that if you're not, if you're not scared of a grizzly bear, then you probably haven't seen one because they are just, a, they're amazing. They're huge and strong and I don't know, it's their place and you are in it. And, that's, uh, that's
2: very true. And that's, um, what you're speaking of there, the respect. Yeah, you have a lot of respect for them. So, um, And I'm not saying that anyone that, that, you know, has had an incident where they've um, had a a situation where they've come across them like this is it doesn't. Um, But just, you know, the the bare awareness aspect is it's just really, really important.
3: Even around Uh, town though. Like, I mean, like that guy, I mean, I don't know. It's very close to the Yellowstone club. The Yellowstone club is a, is a high end like Tom Brady's got a place at the Yellowstone club. Like (laughs) it's that kind of place. So he probably just went out for a little four mile mountain bike ride. You know, I mean, it's not like he was 50 miles into the back of Yellowstone. It's, no, it's so no, weird. Sure. And then yes. some of the attacks um, that I see and that I've seen in Yellowstone, like the first hike we ever took in Yellowstone when I've got out there was just the basic one that they send all the tourists to. It was elephant back mountain. It's right by, uh, Yellowstone Lake. And it's like, you know, it's a huge trailhead. You can't get off trail. You can see it. It's a big wide trail. Tons of people go up there. You can watch, you can look at, you know, Yellowstone Lake from a little bit of elevation. And, uh, just a couple of years ago, man, that's where somebody got attacked right there on elephant back mountain, which is like, that's like the total tourist hike and bad Bad luck for somebody. Yeah, yep. I don't know. So do you think there's just a lot more bears now?
2: I think there are. I think there are, you know, I mean, think back. I mean, it wasn't that even when we were really spending a lot of time in the park 30 years ago together and stuff like that. Um, yeah, the, uh, there's, there's a third again, more bears than there were then. Um, uh, you know, and they go back to the fifties and you talk to our parents and they talk about going to the West Yellowstone dump, the drive-in you know, on the evening to see the bears, you know, at, at the dump. That doesn't happen anymore. These bears are much more natural. Um, they're not being fed, you know, they're they're out there for themselves now. And and they're just the combination of that many more bears in that same kind of confined area of the park zone, and that many more people, there's just gonna be more interactions. Um, without a doubt. And like I said, as the bear population grows, it's spilling out and it's encompassing areas, you, you know, the Bridger mountains, North of Bozeman. Um, I can't say for certainty, but it, people would say they're seeing grizzly bears there now. And that was an area that never had grizzly bears. Before.
3: Well, that we certainly so. didn't have them in the Tetons when we were uh, guiding yeah. there 30 years ago. And uh, just last week, my son Hayden, who's out there now, uh, saw one at Moran Junction, a big one. He said it was a yeah. big one. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's, I don't know. I never understood why there could be so many bears around Ashton, but they wouldn't be in the Tetons. Like that never really quite made sense to me. I was like, I don't I think don't, they know I where the know border either. is, but. Right. Uh, I'm but pretty they're pretty filling sure they
2: everything are. in now. They're filling it all in. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: So yeah. about Yellowstone, what do you think, um, Like with the coronavirus, international travel, um, you know, when you go to Yellowstone in August, it is, there are a lot of international travelers. Um, Do you, or what's the feeling like from the locals of what the tourism is going to be like this year? Like if, do you think that international travel is going to come back to the extent that um, it was, and we'll see as many, um, foreign visitors into Yellowstone. I know that doesn't really affect your business as much, but it could have a lot to do with the, just the number of people that are in the park.
2: You're right. Um, no, this year, I don't think that the international aspect is going to be there. Like it has been in the past. There are not going to be busloads of people that are on a uh, oriental uh, tour that have you know flown in from um, overseas into Salt Lake City and getting on a big tour bus or several tour buses and and then coming up to the park i I just don't see that happening this year. Um, overall i i I mean, it's down. It's really, really down. That's not to say there aren't people here, and there are more coming as summer goes. Um, the park is literally just reopening. Uh, first,
3: right, like Monday.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, the the Montana we just got it announced yesterday. I just had an announcement from um, the superintendent yesterday that the Montana borders are going to be opening on Monday the first, and I think it's at like ten a.m. Not even like first thing in the you know morning. It's a little bit later. Uh, Wyoming, those border entrances, so southeast they opened uh, a week and a half ago, 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and immediately, you know, I'm hearing from friends that, that still live in Jackson uh, Memorial day weekend. You know, they're like, I can't ever remember it being this crazy, this many out of town plates. Really? Um, but they're not, yeah, they said it was really, really busy. Everyone's hopping in a car or renting an RV and they're driving out because right now you, the flights to come here, are nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, uh, kind of over the course of the whole pandemic thing, we lost, I can't tell you how many guide trips, I mean, just oodles. Uh, we went from, you know, turning people away, we're booked full to having like nothing on those same days. Mm-hmm. Um, those haven't come back. They're starting to, the phone's ringing a little bit. Um, but the thing that we're finding now is that those folks that chose to keep their reservations, that we're going to be out next week or the week after, or even in early July, we're getting the phone calls now saying, Hey, I'm sorry, I have to cancel. I know we talked about this earlier. We really, really wanted to come out, but we can't get there. The airlines are canceling our flights. We can't get from Boston to, to, you know, Bozeman and that's where I think people are just hopping in cars, hopping in RVs. They're driving out. So there's, there's a lot of out of town plates that are coming through, but I don't think the international stuff is going to go crazy.
3: Yeah. Because of the flights, I guess. What about the hotels in the parks? Yellowstone, Grand Teton specifically.
2: Um, I know a number of uh, locations like Grand Teton National Park, like Jenny Lake Lodge, Mm -hmm. um, Jackson Lake Lodge. They're not, they've elected, they're not reopening the summer they not closed. at all They're staying closed. They're not open. What?
3: I haven't heard that. I
2: know. I know. I know. Uh, and then there's other places. And again, don't quote me for sure, but I know that, you know, places that uh, should be full to capacity, um, you know, it, on any given night in the summer, it's significantly less, um, you know, half capacity. Some of them are probably getting a lot of that back again, but it's, it's significantly down. Um, Yeah,
3: that's tough. So I I was just kind of interested because I was talking to the Florida guys about this, too. Like, were were guides and outfitters able to take care, take advantage of any of the PPP um, aid?
2: Definitely, definitely. I know from uh, my own personal experience that, yes, um, the PPP program, um, was of great benefit. Um, there were a number of other shop owners, uh, that were able to get in on the first and second rounds of the PPP. Uh, at the same time, there were a lot of independent guides and outfitters that were just, you know, call them a single boat operator where they don't have a fly shop. They don't have brick and mortar. They're literally just themselves a truck and a boat. Uh, many of them are still kind of out in the cold, so to speak. Um, They were allowed after uh, several weeks to apply for it. But by then, the system was so clogged that they're still caught up in limbo. Uh, And even with um, state unemployment situations, because independent contractors working for themselves, they had not been allowed to apply for unemployment um, prior. Um, They were allowed to. But again, the system became so clogged they're still gummed up in the works. I know people that uh, still not received anything at all. Wow.
3: That's tough, man. Because it is. I don't know, as a fishing guide, whether you're in Montana or Jackson, Wyoming or Key West, Florida, you name it, all of those places are expensive places to live. And even on, even on a good month, you know, where you're working 30 days out of the month, still kind of tight, you know, depending on your lifestyle. Like you can, you can obviously live a, a very simple lifestyle. You're not married. You can be making plenty of money like that. But when you have a family and you're working on a guide wage, you need every day of the month. In fact, you need the month to be about forty-five days long. And um, you know, like in, <laughs> yeah, in the
2: keys in a day, not enough days in a month. Right.
3: And in the yeah. keys, we would lose, you know, a certain month like like February. One February you could work twenty-seven days. You had beautiful weather the whole year, like it was amazing. Yeah. And another February working 12 and you know, you're just getting canceled left and right from bad cold fronts. And man, that's tough. That's really tough. And this is going from 30 to zero. That's, that's, that's really hard to, um, survive that.
2: It is really, really hard. And it's one of those things that's, you know, It's funny that the weather, you kind of start to get used to, you know, what's going to happen with it with as far as like cancellations and things like that that happen. Um, But this is completely out of anyone's control and out of anyone's um, foresight and everything and to have it happen the way it did. Um, Yeah, it's been it's been uh, life altering. I I keep telling the kids we're rewriting history right now. You better pay attention. You better take notes. You probably won't ever see this again.
3: Well, let's hope not. You know, there is the thing about the weather that, you know, outside of a hurricane, like a hurricane, you're not, gonna, you're not going in a hurricane or maybe even a tropical storm. But there's plenty of cold fronts and just bad weather where every other guide cancels and you can grit your teeth and you can just go. Like there's still some of that is within your control like you can talk to your customers and say, listen, it's going to be really horrible out there. And I could just dump a bucket of salt water on you and kick you in the leg a few times (laughs) and we could call it good. And it might have the same experience. Um, But you know, if you want to go, I'll take you. And some people, they say, I didn't come down here to sit in the hotel room. So let's go. And sometimes you leave the Marina and you turn around 15 minutes later and they're like, you're right. It's terrible out here. This is awful. I had no idea it was going to be this bad, but you could still like, there's still some that's within your control. Like and for you, like it's super cold. All of a sudden you're expecting it to be 45. It's 17. Like, do you really want to go today? Everything's going to be frozen. Like, but you could still go. You still had stuff that was within your control and this is just not, no one's no no control. no. I was surprised that the national park shut down. I really was like, I thought, I mean, Yellowstone, of course you can see that as, as like, that's a, that can be a very busy place, but not in March, like in March, like you could go and sit Indian style in the middle of the Hayden Valley on the middle of the road and not get hit by a car for an hour. Like,
2: no, you're right. You're right. It wasn't so much about that, Tom. I know what I know for a fact that, you know, small uh, entrance locations like Gardner mm-hmm. pleaded with the park service we have to close and the reason for that is it wasn't the fact that there's no one in the park. it's the fact that everyone that was coming from around the area before it was closed they weren't from there they were traveling in they had no idea what they were bringing these little tiny places they have no medical infrastructure right and so all of a sudden, you know, one person that brings COVID to the area and it spreads rampantly through and the little towns isolated. Think about like cook city, right. You know, I mean, you know, a bad avalanche in the road and they can't get through and they're literally landlocked, you know, that sort of thing. Think about what it would have taken to have been able to bail them out. Um, if their medical structure, if the town had been, uh, overrun. And right. I think that's, where it became a situation where something where we really didn't, and we still don't know everything about it, but we didn't really understand. And on a national basis like this, where it's this huge scary deal, um, it was it was the thing to do at the time mm-hmm. to close those those park borders yeah. for the safety well, of the people that worked and lived there.
3: On Monday, um, June 1st, the keys are reopening. And a lot of my yeah. friends, a lot of the locals... are not in favor of it. Not at all. Um, what, what's the, what's the attitude of the locals out there? You know, you We're, get so many different attitudes because like I know some people I have know. to like, they're dying. They literally need to make some money and you make money from the tourists, but then the tourists bring in the, you don't know where they've been. Like, right. It's a weird right.
2: Deal, no, man. it's a, it's a horrible double-edged sword. Um, and it's and it's partly just how we've built our communities and our in our economies around um, the park systems like Yellowstone. Here, um, you know, it, it's um, there's a real mixed feeling. There are definitely some folks that are like, "Thank God, you know, maybe we can keep doors open. Maybe we can make it through. We can limp through this uh, this season and and live to open the doors again next year." And others that are scared to death. I, I think it's just a factor of who you are as a person, regardless. Um, I try not to be a fear mongering person. I try to be optimistic. I try and look on the good side uh, of everything and everyone. Um, and I have to say that, you know, we will adapt and overcome and we're going to be one of those that hopefully, you know, we're reopening our doors after this season, but I have to also say there is some trepidation. There are some thoughts. You start to think about the possibilities you just have to prepare yourself and do the best you possibly can to mitigate those things that you can control, adapt and overcome and keep going. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm sure that I'm sure that you will. Um, I don't know how. I mean, it's in the early part of this, it just seemed like it was going to be impossible to shut everything down for a month and there, there would be no way that anybody could survive a month. And then now it's, you know, you're in four months three, four months now and everybody seems
2: <laughs> to be... Months. How uh, long was it um, last year? <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> it seems just, it's crazy. But one yeah. of the things too that is, is kind of interesting um is that with the lack of tourists, a lot of the, the guides have been able to take advantage of some of the fishing situations that are their favorites, like something that, mm, yes. that they normally don't get a chance to do themselves. Like a lot of the flats guides right now are actually out on the ocean side, standing on the bow, throwing flies to tarpon. And, and that's not something that they do, you know, th- not this time of the year. Right. Everybody's working every right. single day. No, so I'm they're, curious. They're
2: usually on the polling platform. Yeah. I'm
3: curious for you, you have, I mean, you're situated um, in the epicenter of the best fly fishing in the United States, you're, I would think that a 200 mile radius outside of Yellowstone national park is what could be considered the best fly fishing opportunities for trout in the United States. That's what Lefty Cray said. So I kind of, uh, I thought about that and I'm like, yeah, 200 miles, uh, 200 mile radius of Yellowstone. You're, you got some really good water. That's, that's really good.
2: Yeah. So we always say, how far can we go on a tank of gas? There you go. Wherever we can go from a tank of gas from Jackson we can go fishing. Yeah. It's going to be awesome.
3: Yeah. So if, if there aren't as many people out there this year and you do have the opportunity, um, tell me what your favorite, you don't have to name the place, but I want to know like what you hold sacred to you. Like what is the type of fishing that if you have a day off and you're going to do it for your own pleasure, not guiding, what do you do?
2: Oh, I can tell you exactly where I'm going to go. Um, that's, and it's fun just because it's, um, I love going to the Paradise Valley Spring Creeks. I love sight fishing to rising fish. And in the spring, uh, you know, for us, that's a, a blue and olive hatch, um, you know, or a good midge hatch. Uh, in the early summer, it's the PMDs. Um, we're going to be open in June, so I'm not going to get a chance to go do it then. But I did get to go do it, uh, earlier in April during the shutdown. Um, no one else around. I literally had a spring creek to myself with my two boys for an entire day. And it was one of these that, you know, I, I used to spend 50, 60 days a year on these spring creeks guiding with everyone. And now I'm taking my boys out there. But mm. I loved it. I, I dug it. You know, it was great. Um, it was in my terms. And uh, I set the boys up and I said, here, go do this. And then I sat in my favorite spot that I love to guide on the creek and got to put the rod in my left hand and, uh, you know, figure it out as if, uh, you know, I, no one. I'm the angler. I'm the one that got yeah. to close the deal. So that last 30 feet that we always talk about being up to the angler. Well, that was up to me that day. and That was, um, that was really, really cool.
3: Yeah. And you know, my favorite, as far as trout fishing goes, I don't know what it is about this place. And I'm sure you're going to know exactly what it is before I even say it, because it was so close to my heart. I bet you can forecast what, what it would be, but man, the national elk refuge in Jackson. Uh-huh. Dude, I just loved that. And you and I spent a lot of days out there together. And one of the things that I liked about that place so much was that, you know, we would spend so much time in a drift boat and you would have all this equipment. You got a truck, you got a drift boat, you got six or seven rods. You've got two customers. You've got sometimes hip boots. You've got all this stuff got all this stuff. And then you get a day off and it's like leaving all that behind. I'm taking one rod. I'm taking one box of flies and I'm going out there by myself. I'm going to walk slow and I'm going to find a fish and I'm going to hunt that fish and I'm going to catch that fish, that one. And I'm going to pass by many fish that I don't want to catch. They're too small or they're not doing what I want them to do. And I'm going to find this bank (laughs) feeder. More
2: that than the other.
3: Like that one looks too easy. Or then you find that bank feeder and you just sit there and you, maybe you try 20 different flies. And you come back to that first one that you tried and he just eats it like he's never seen it before. And that to me was just, that was so amazing. And I just, I just loved that place. (laughs) I got a chance like you to take my, my, one of my boys out there. I took Hayden out there and this was before Hayden had really gotten the bug about trout fishing. And he kind of thought that it was going to be like saltwater fishing. Like we were going to go catch Jack crevells, which we catch by the hundreds. And he, uh, yeah. it wasn't like that at all. We were going to catch one or two fish and we also got stuck in a hailstorm there. And, um, man, I was like, isn't this awesome? <laughs> I turned around and looked at him and he's <laughs> like, got his, got his hood up and, and he's, all, he's trying to block the hail. And he was like, yeah, dad, this is awesome. And so the next day I got to go out there all by myself. <laughs> He didn't, he didn't visit with me the next day. He said, you can do it on your own, but now, now he's all in. Um,
2: He's got it. yeah. Yeah, he's got it. So yeah, the spring creeks are just like that creek. Remember too, though, we would often deal with a full guide day trip, drive home from the South Fork, drop clients off, drop boats at the condo jump in one of our trucks and run out there before dark right. and fish for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. We did that a lot.
3: I know. And it's really hard to put on those, even as a young man, 30 years before you had those glasses, um, <laughs> it, you know, you're you're putting on a size 22, uh, and it's dusk and that's challenging. Like it's challenging. And I, the last time I went out there, I had to borrow my wife's reading glasses because like, I don't wear glasses, but I needed them for those flies. Those are some yeah, light, those are yeah. some small flies you got to use there.
2: These, uh, these specs come with a lot of miles, yeah. you know, from all those <laughs> years of doing just that it's now I am relegated to wearing these bad boys. Yeah. So yeah, it's
3: <laughs> funny, man. Um, so, uh, what, uh, anything else happening out there? Are there any, any conservation issues happening out there that are, are of note?
2: Oh boy how much time you got and what do you want to get into (laughs) um you know uh i I, we're fortunate we're a little over a year um since the uh gateway protection act was signed which was a really big thing so right here in paradise valley um stopping the uh the uh, gold mine um situation that was going to be coming up um that's been a real biggie um with that though we've kind of i shouldn't say there's been a business coalition that was created, a bunch of business owners. That um, our interest uh, was to make sure that we were able to to get this uh, Gateway Protection Act signed, and uh, our area here protected. Um, it's now spun into um, uh, protecting the Upper Yellowstone in general, not just from these gold uh, interests, but uh, the recreation aspect that that has become um, an issue. And it goes
3: like what do kind you of hand
2: in hand with. What's the issue? We're loving it. We're loving it to death. death. Yes, you know. I was just going to say it goes into the bear situation. The bears are expanding their habitat. We're expanding our habitat of sorts. We're expanding our use of habitat more than anything. Um, So I think it's something that will come up that you may hear more of um, in in the years to uh, to come here. Um, Recreational use of our rivers out here is becoming a topic. Um, and just making sure it's balanced, you know, it's not, uh, it's, uh, it's the ranchers. They have a voice and they have a need in their water and, and recreational people and the fishermen and the boaters and the, um, standup paddle porters, um, the campers, you know, everyone. Um, so that's, that's one that we've been leading and working with, um, specifically.
3: So, so what's the, in, in your opinion, what is the, the solution to that? Like, do you. Like even in the early days, like when we were in in Jackson, each outfitter could have a certain number of boats on the river per day, per section per day. That could be like some sort of solution or a, a solution for the recreational people. Like, are you just trying to get less people all together or like spread out the use so it's not so concentrated?
2: That's exactly, you're exactly right. So, um, right now, you know, we don't have uh, any limitations as to how many boats per section or how many outfitters can be on a body of water. Uh, We're working towards that. You know, um, I will say, you know, and this is not something you often hear from within an industry where um, mostly things are asked of us. Instead, we are asking as the outfitters, hey, this is something we need to consider and we need to study um, on our own. We're bringing it forward um we're working right now just getting data you know we're, we're trying to find out uh from a uh, scientific way if we can get uh, gather the data that that will help us make these decisions um you know what is a limit what is a carrying capacity when is it too busy when is it not um, that sort of thing uh, with recreationalists um we're trying to find the means with which that you know Hey, when when there isn't a parking spot in the parking area with at the boat launch, it doesn't mean that you pile five more boats in there. Um, so it's just finding a means with which to work on uh, spreading people out, making sure that uh, uh, everyone you know a uh, balanced um, use, and then that we're all paying our share too. Because right now, um, commercially uh, on the river, we do have to um, have a commercial. Uh, license, much like we did when we were on the South Fork. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's paid. And, and as we should, you know, we definitely should. Um, but the general public doesn't have to pay anything at all. And yet they're putting strain on the resource.
3: Well, they um, are, I mean, know. they, they are buying a fishing
2: license. No, I'm just talking about like people, not even fishing, oh, just like the general rafters, yeah. rafters, kayakers, you know, paddleboarders, people just recreating right now. They're really not paying into the system. Hmm. Um, and, and yet they're using, um, of the resource just as we are. So it's this type of a thing. And I'd be curious to know if if you're finding similar situations in other parts in Florida, if there's similar use situations, um, I would love to hear, you know, if there's, if there's um, means with which people have gone through this. Um,
3: there are, and there's, you know, like the reef situation or certain, Certain shorelines will get closed down um, for all kinds of reasons. But I mean, that's a very emotionally charged issue um, yeah. because generally it excludes some group. And when you exclude some group, that's tough on that particular group. A lot of fishing guides, like what you're talking about, are electively choosing to impose re- restrictions on the place, mostly because they feel like they can operate with those restrictions, but not everybody can. So they're saying, yeah, "Yeah, don't let us go beach our boats on the, on the beach. That's fine. But the jet skis can't do that either. And they know that that's how the jet skis are making a living that they're going over there and they're beaching. And so it's like, yeah, we're playing ball, but I don't know, man, it's, it's hard because it's hard to exclude a group whether you believe in what those people are doing or you like jet skis or you hate jet skis or whatever, it's like, they, they, there are rights there. They have some sort of rights, but you know, as the, as the conservationist and as the, as the, um, the business owner and as the person who wants this resource resource to be the same or better for our children, it's like, you know, is there certain activities that aren't, sustainable and yep. you got to put a put a stop to those and it, it becomes very emotionally charged but i find it interesting that outfitters are placing restrictions on themselves or wanting inviting restrictions on themselves um because that means that i mean obviously you could put more boats out there if you wanted to
2: we could yeah we could you know but why you know because at a point here you know it's detracting from our own client's um experiences yeah. it's it's not and, and that's and, and this really has to be about the resource not the people mm-hmm. and and that and again that's why we're trying to bring everyone that we can to the table right and have all voices heard and we're trying to have data we're trying to have now i'm science. interested in
3: knowing what that yeah. data what kind of data you're you're trying to to get like is it fish mortality to, is it trash is it
2: so what? It, it uh, Yeah, no, it is. It is a lot of that. Um, just on the straight use data, you know, we're trying to find out just how many people on any given day in the summer and, and in the area are on the water and what types are we, you know, how many paddleboards are we seeing? How many rafts are we seeing? Guide boats, you know, you can determine um, because uh, Montana, we're, we're required to have our license on the outside of the boat. You can find that it's a flag. So you can see. Licensed, non-licensed, you know, guided, non-guided, general public rafting, general public fishing. Um, You can, so it's going to have to be through the means with um, real surveys. People are going to have to be at the takeouts or put-ins and talking to uh, people on the ramps. Um, And then uh, there's an opportunity, drones may come into play, (laughs) flying drones on certain days um, and or game camera. You know, being able to have pictures, video footage, something along those lines. But it has, those things have to be kind of in an anonymous way um, that, that, uh, that, you know, we're, we're just getting raw data. We're not using it in different, you know, right. there's ways that it can be misconstrued.
3: So now it, let's just say you get this data. Who would... Whose jurisdiction would this fall under? Because you've got national forest, you got BLM, you might have a river that runs Correct. through a national park, and then back out into the into the um, you know public lands after that. So, like, who would you be presenting this data to?
2: At this point in time, um, you know, we've kind of it, it, we're not doing anything that's in the park at all. So it's strictly outside of the park. Um, but we do have uh, people from um, the forest service as well as fish and game and BLM and, um, different, um, uh, conservation groups, uh, and private landowners up and down the Valley, it's all being collected as one, um, and it's not one specific group. Uh, and then as far as reviewing, it goes, we're trying to find, you know, how do we make it impartial, uh, and, and to be just strictly, you know, scientific thing, mm. um, and so that's, you know, we're literally just getting started with this. So right. that's, that's a question that has been raised. We don't have an answer necessarily.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, blue sky, um, you know, how would you like this issue to be resolved? You know, in your own opinion, no science, no nothing, just Mattson Rogers, local guy, not even business owner. What do you, blue sky to what do you think would be a solution that would, be good for the environment?
2: You know, that's um, it, taking out the aspects of a business owner, taking out the aspects of uh, 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 direct involvement, kind of thing like that. Um, that's a really good point. Um, you know, just from a base route, I just think that everyone that's going to be using the resource needs to put in their fair share. Um, you know, so seeing a, um, a boat tag, I'm not fishing, so I'm not buying a license, but, but you do need to buy a license. You need, there needs to be, and it needs to be equitable. Um, but it, that money stays within that watershed and that region. Cause I also see this as being something that's going to be taken up, not just by the Alston, but by a lot of other areas too, potentially throughout the state. Um, so that there is a, there's a state tag, you know, that we're buying that, you know, has to be on the paddleboard, has to be on the raft um, that, by registering and by having that tag we are putting monies into the system that are staying in that system for the care of that system and resource mm. um and i think that's that's a super basic um need at this point do you think that um, that's
3: enough like just a no, just a license probably not and, and and money like the solution is is the solution just money
2: i uh, no no, it's not. I know it's not because from the other aspect, the part of the resource that what we're seeing in in areas, um, people, uh, the the it's not trash as much. You, it's not like there's places back east that if I went fishing and you know you'd, you'd see monofilament nice. on the on the shores and right. things like that. We're not seeing that. But what we are seeing in another, it, it's a different calling card. Um, if you're up on an island and if you're camping on an island we're seeing human, you know, leftovers that really shouldn't be there, that it's, it's getting rampant. Mm. Um, it's getting to the point where I've got, you know, friends of mine now, they're like, dude, I don't even go over there weekday, let alone weekend. You know, we're not even going to think about camping on the river on an Island or anything like that. It's just, it's, it's overused. Mm. Um, and, and there's too many calling cards that are being left. Um, and, uh, there needs to be some resources and some means with which, you know, some regulations, the packet in, pack it out. Um, we're not the grand Canyon, you know, it's yeah. not like that, but, um, there definitely needs to be some change in some philosophy and thought, um, besides money being put at the resource tail.
3: Well, you asked, um, if other areas were having certain similar situations and there was a very similar situation where, uh, the keys, special particularly Isla Murata. Um, You know, it, it's blamed on Miami, but it could be from people from anywhere. For whatever reason, they were coming down, parking on the side of the road, and it's not even a beach. It doesn't even look at all like something I would want to do. It's not like this picturesque, beautiful place. It's literally the side of the road in the mangroves, and they would swim off the side of the road and hang out and drink beer and barbecue and stuff like that really 10 feet from the road, but they yeah. started leaving trash all over the place. The Isle of residents got very upset about it, rightfully. So it was, they were trashing their road and mm-hmm. they put a stop to it. They, they totally put a stop to it. And, you know, it was, it, I guess it was legal that you could pull your car over there and you could stop there and you could swim and there was nothing stopping you for a while. But then once it gets abused and there's a trash and, and, and garbage and, and old food and all kinds of stuff, it becomes an issue that has to be resolved. And that's exactly what they, what they did. Um Those people were not welcome. It started with the locals saying. You're not welcome yeah. like <laughs> don't stop here and then it el- <laughs> right. escalated to the right. police saying yeah oh, this boy. is not a this is not a, a an area that you can pull your car over anymore like so yeah. i don't know i mean you, it would be interesting to look and see how they did that i know that there was a tremendous amount of traffic on facebook uh around that issue that you could probably look and see exactly what the I mean, but you could call somebody in I'll run. I could put you in touch with somebody that was probably gotcha. leading the charge there, but I don't know. It's, it's a kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thing because it's like one that one on the one hand, money may not fix it, but certainly spreading the use out could like in the, in Yellowstone, you know, you, you can't, you're not going to be overcrowded in the back country because it's illegal to go back there and just camp anywhere you want to. You have to right. stop at the ranger station. You have to reserve a campsite. You can only reserve that campsite at a certain uh, time period before. So it makes it fair for everyone. Everybody's got to stand in line. Everybody's got to do it the same way. You get back there, and there's not going to be anybody in your in your campsite. I mean, th- that if if it if yeah. everything runs yeah. the way it's supposed to, somebody might have gotten lost and. And they don't know where their campsite is and they end up in yours. But um, that seems like that's been a system that's worked pretty well. But then you have, you know, when you're on national forest land, you're supposed to be able to camp wherever you want. So they're not set up for for that, you know, and it's not that that's a bad system. It's just that in certain areas you could get a tremendous amount of traffic and it could be very concentrated and that's not good. But uh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard too much about that. So
2: it's just getting going. You know, really the, in the formative stages of of like local care. You know that that people are um, pulling together. And, and like I said, from across the table, there's a lot of different people and a lot of different entities that are involved. Um, but it's um, it's been really interesting to work with. And uh, you know, we got a long way to go, but it'll it'll be good. Uh, the Yellowstone is uh, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing river and amazing location here. And, um, it deserves everything that we can, um, do to help it.
3: Yeah. Awesome. Matson, it's been such a great time to catch up with you, my friend. Um, I'm just so happy to see you, uh, doing so well and your business thriving, uh, on the, on a regular year. Um, I'm sure that when you open up, you people are going to flock to you because you have a great service. I've used it myself last year, took uh, my whole family right. on a float great. trip, three boats, and it was amazing. I have fantastic yeah. guys. What was the guy's name that I had? Thank you. The young, Thank you. Young guy. I, like so uh, I
2: think Nolan, Nolan, Nolan yeah. was on the trip. He was so, great, yeah. Man. Jeremy, yeah, those guys. Shout they out do, to they all those guys, man. That, they were
3: fantastic. Yeah. They really were. It reminded me of Good. you and me and Fletcher uh, back in the day.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
3: So, um, well, tell well, everybody um, how they can find you. you and find your service and book you and book your guides and come by and buy a t-shirt and some flies and then go to the park or do whatever they're gonna
2: good good well thank you thank you so well, uh anglers west fly fishing we're at uh, www.montanaflyfishers.com our phone is 406-333-4401 and uh, we've got a great little fly shop right here in the uh, bustling berg of immigrant montana um uh, awesome barbecue um, Smokehouse Shack out back here that we're my friends and, uh, the Pine Creek Bakery, the old saloon right next door. Um, we've got everything that you need to be right here in paradise, fly fishing, staying, having a great time. So
3: Awesome. And you can have an Easter egg hunt. You can go in Anglers West and you can find a picture of yours truly somewhere on the wall.
2: Absolutely. That'll be the Absolutely. Easter egg hunt. So- <laughs> good, Tom. That's all right, awesome. my friend. That's awesome, good to Tom. see you.
3: Please tell your family Thank I you. said hello, and uh, I wish you all the best as as you reopen and and uh, everybody gets back to normal, which I'm sure that I appreciate that have. very much. Thank you. All right, been buddy. good. Thanks. Take we'll care. See you, Matson. All right. Bye bye. Okay, that was Matson Rogers, and Matson is really a remarkable guy, a good friend. He's had. Such a good uh, business out there, Anglers West. If you're headed out to Montana, that is a great place to go. He has everything you need. Spring creeks, take you into the park, Yellowstone River, wherever you want to go. It's an amazing trip. And uh, he's a great guy that has a lot of great guides. Uh, I fished with Nolan last year, and he was fantastic. You can ask for him. Um, Anyway, this episode of the podcast was brought to you by Hook. Hook Gear. Com. You can go there and you can get your hook clothing. You can get yourself a, uh, a hooded shirt so that you can go out with Mattson Rogers and Anglers West and you won't get your neck sunburned uh, with one of these sun shirts that has a hood. That's awesome. You can also get all kinds of stuff there. You can use the code SE30 and you'll get a 30% discount on whatever hook gear you would like so that's a great thing you can also go to manscaped.com and you can get any of their products by using the code trp you'll get 20 percent off in free shipping and we also have kettle and fire Go use the code WAYPOINT. You can get some bone broth delivered right to your door and you don't have to cook it for 20 hours in your house and stink up your whole house. Go to KettleAndFire.com. Use the code WAYPOINT. You get a discount there as well. And let's see. Barracuda Tackle. Barracuda Tackle is the sponsor of this podcast. They make the best cast nets on the market they also have a really cool new D hooker which is my favorite it's a hook extractor they have an eight and a half and a 13 and a half inch model I like the 13 and a half inch model it keeps my hands away from toothy fish and I also can reach the fish off of a 36 yellow fin uh, which has particularly high sides for a particularly short person um, so get that one and uh, you can also go and get yourself a custom colored net. They have a really cool net if you're a flats fisherman. It's a lightweight net uh, designed to catch pilchards in shallow water. It's fantastic. Anybody can throw that net. Anybody can open that net. It's fantastic. Barracuda Tackle, they are awesome. So that's it for today. And uh, I hope to see you out in Montana. I plan on being out there visiting my boys, visiting Mattson and fishing some of my favorite water out there. It's one of my favorite things to do. If you haven't done it and you're a saltwater fisherman, you owe it to yourself to get out there. This is going to be a great summer to be there. There's not going to be that many people and you're going to be able to get out there, learn how to fly fish for trout, have really an amazing time in truly one of the most amazing places that we have in this country. It's truly beautiful. If you've never seen Yellowstone, you have to go. All right, see ya. See ya.